I'm going to be uh, speaking out of Acts 10. And it's the entire chapter. And the character that I'm speaking on today is uh, a, a centurion named Cornelius. It's a great story. <clears throat> and I want to be I want to be able to say I'm focusing on Cornelius, but it's a story of Cornelius and Paul. I want you to watch Cornelius. Because I feel like Cornelius helps, helps Peter. Did I say Paul? Peter. Helps Peter to reconnect with the vision that God's given him. To reconnect with the mission that he's called him to. So I'm going to do it a bit out of order. I'm going to start in the middle of it. Because I want you to meet Cornelius, but I want you to see how Paul is introduced to Cornelius or how he finds out about him. If you've got your Bibles, you can open to Acts 10, verse 9, but it'll be up on the screen as well. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, and these are the men that are coming to see Peter and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him in a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, Simon the Tanner, and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. I've always been fascinated by this, this vision, because it's quite a shift that's happening for Peter. He's being asked to change his traditions. He's being asked to change his theology. And he's not doing well with it initially. Because when the voice, God's voice, tells him to get up, kill, and eat, he was 
almost appalled. I'm, I will not do that. I mean, he's hungry. This is the easiest hunting and gathering you're ever going to have. Lowered in front of you. And Peter resists. And he talks about he's never eaten anything unclean. In Leviticus, it talks about all the different animals that they can and can eat. And here was the sheet that had these animals that he was taught as a child never to eat. And now God seems to be changing that. Paul refuses because he's a good Jew. He's not like the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, who eat unclean food. And he knows that unclean food makes them unclean and impure. And he doesn't want to be like that. But God's response is harsh. He says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This is a shift. He even had the vision happen three times. I think God knew he didn't get it the first two times. Because it was so shocking. And these men show up and they've been sent by Cornelius. And we'll tell you more about Cornelius in a second. But they show up. And God even says, tells him that they're showing up and to go with them. I'm wondering if Peter didn't get the word from God about the, 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 the ability to eat these, these foods now, the, to eat the foods that he's seen as unclean, if God didn't tell him that there are men coming, would Peter have gone? Would he have gone with them? To even hear that the person that sending, uh, sent them that want Peter to come with them to talk to him is a centurion, a Roman centurion. The enemy of the Jewish people. the oppressor of the Jewish people, the people who killed Jesus Christ. If you had that coming to your door, would you just naturally go, I'm, out, I'm going with you? Would it make a difference if he said he's a God-fearing man? Would you go then? I don't think Peter would have gone. And I think that's the reason for the vision, is I think Peter would have said that voice is not God's. Because everything he's saying goes against what I believe. But it also hits him in a place where he's actually being challenged on what he thinks about the Gentiles. I have a quote from uh, the commentary that I've been reading, uh, Dean Pinter. He says, the point is that Peter treats food the same way he treats people. Some foods are regarded as clean and pure. Some are unclean and impure. 
Some people are regarded as clean and pure, some as unclean and impure. Peter knows the boundaries up to this point in Acts. He has done nothing to transgress Jewish purity laws, especially regarding food. God knew that he thought the same about food as he does about the people that eat unclean foods. He had to shake up Peter. And as the story unfolds, you see the point that Luke is making about Peter. But this isn't a story about Peter. It's about Cornelius. But I need you to see Peter. Because he's going to learn things about Cornelius that changes his way of thinking. Go back to the beginning of Acts 10, verse 1 to 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Look at what we know about this guy. He resides in Caesarea. I've got a list coming up. He lived with his family in Caesarea, which was sort of the heart of uh, the Roman administration in Judea. He was a Roman centurion, respected, led an army of a hundred soldiers. And to achieve that rank, he was probably serving between 12 to 20 years. He described as a member of the Italian regiment, which means 600 men. He was a part of this powerful regiment that was known throughout the land. And Luke tells us all this stuff and even piles on more. The point that he wants to make is that Cornelius is a Gentile. He's totally, most definitely a Gentile. And that's one of his key points. He tells you all this stuff for you to understand that he is not Jewish. He's a Gentile. Because it's important. It also says that he and his family uh, were devout and God-fearing. And that was the God-fearing of just a respect for the Jewish God. And he was a man who gave generously to the poor. He prayed to God regularly. He was respected by all the Jewish people. 
And he's the only Gentile in Luke and Acts that ever had an encounter with an angel. He's an important character because something happens for Peter and something happens in his home. But I want you to focus on something that the angel said. Is that the angel appears, Cornelius stares in fear, which is what the response is for any angel. If you look at angels appearing, they always had to say, hey, relax, don't be afraid. I'm come from God. But he stared in fear, and his first words are, what is it, Lord? This Gentile is referring to God as Lord. But the angel says something so amazing. He starts and he replies and says to Cornelius, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Why don't you think about that? His actions, his compassion, his dedication to prayer has become a memorial offering to God. A memorial offering in scripture was a grain offering that was brought to the priests. And it was a grain offering that half of it was meant to be a memorial. And you can see it in Leviticus where it says, the priest uh, then shall take up for, from the grain offerings its memorial portion and sh shall offer it up in smoke for the altar as an offering by fire to soothe of a soothing aroma to the Lord. The remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to the Lord by fire. It was an aroma pleasing to God. Listen to that. Cornelius' life was an aroma pleasing to God. How did he get there? He's never been in a temple. He doesn't understand. It wasn't, someone didn't say, hey, would you like to be an offering to God? He just did what he needed to do, what he felt he needed to do. This memorial offering also reminded God of the people who made the offering. That's how they viewed it, is that they offered it to God to remind him of the relationship that he has with us. It reminded God of the person uh, who made the offering. It reminded of his covenant obligation to us. It was an offering of faith and patience that God cannot ignore, forget, or overlook. This is what, they, what God called Cornelius. I see him as this pleasing aroma. I see him, and I know that there's a covenant agreement that I will not forget what he's done. And he even says it. He even tells him that God knows. God remembers that he says to him, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. He knows. Cornelius, the total Gentile, was viewed by God himself as an offering. It's fascinating because Cornelius is also living out, we've talked about this many times, the Shema. 
And it's the, the word that the Jewish people declared as the most important commandment and declared it daily was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus adds on to that and love your neighbors yourself. That is the life of Cornelius. Loving God, loving others. I think of it and I think of how powerful that is to, um, to God. It is when we do those things. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about that, where he talks about uh, with the, the sheep and the goats. But he says these words, referring to the king. He said, the king said, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And they asked the question, when? And he tells them. But he says, "Tell truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That verse has always got me. It's a verse that my dad taught me. It's a verse that's painted on the side of the mustard seed. Whatever you, least of you, you've done, you've done it unto me. Cornelius was doing it for God. He was blessing God by loving him and blessing others. And God saw it as an offering to him. Cornelius. This isn't supposed to happen with a guy like Cornelius. These guys even said that Cornelius was a righteous man. How do we view what, what is righteous? We tend to view what righteousness as those people that do all the things that we're supposed to do as Christians. Instead of doing what is right before God. I remember hearing uh, there's a group of us that went up to um, the legislature and prayed for uh, some of the, um, the MLAs. And I remember the, the leader telling me, he said, we're not praying that they become Christians. We pray that they do what's righteous before God. That's a totally different shift, isn't it? Because we tend to lead with, you got to become a Christian so you can become righteous. It, it's difficult for me because I've seen a lot of unrighteous or self-righteous Christians. Peter falls into that category because he's the guy that was struggling with those that aren't Jewish. And this is the whole thing. I'm going to fly through this last part because he gets to the house and as soon as he comes into the house, Cornelius falls at his feet. And Peter makes a statement. He says, stand up. And here's the different statements. He says, stand up. I'm only human myself. 
That's quite a statement because he's letting him know that we're no different. But that wasn't what he was doing when he was rejecting the whole idea of unclean. He wasn't recognizing that he's just like them. He made this statement to the group. There's a whole group of them. He said, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or visit them. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Have we ever done that? Call people out that we see aren't clean or aren't righteous. And Paul's or Peter's being corrected. He also says this. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. I don't think he's talking about universalism. or he, he, He's talking about how much God responds to more than just the circle that we think that he's more concerned about. And then he says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He wants to be Lord of all. Cornelius saw him as that. What Peter does then is he begins to testify to Jesus Christ. He begins to tell him the story of Christ dying. The story of what that did for them. And he just is so fired up. And as he's speaking, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all these Gentiles. And they have a, a, a Gentile Pentecost where they all begin to speak in tongues. They begin praising God. And Peter just says, is there any reason why we shouldn't, they shouldn't all be baptized? And they baptize all of them in the home. Peter was brought back to the true mission of what God called him to. And his mission he had was very narrow. He sought more towards the Jews and not towards the Gentiles. That was never the kingdom of God mission. In Acts, at the beginning of Acts, says in chapter 1, says, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and that's with him testifying to the day of Pentecost. The Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, but Jesus pushed them out to the place where they don't like Samaria, but they said Samaria and also the ends of the earth. I think Peter forgot. I think that he was still struggling with his own prejudice. And it was Cornelius that woke him up. It was Cornelius' character that he began to see 
Why do I think that someone can't be righteous that isn't like me? It's the same thing we've been talking about in Romans, where it's this argument about you have to be Jewish in order to become a Christian. And Gentile Christians were saying, why? That's not the story. That's not what we heard about Jesus. Some of the things I look at with this and I see that God moves. He goes first and we join him. How many times have we jumped ahead of him? Here's a, a, uh, just a comment from Dean Pinter again. It said, there is much that we must do and say for God both at home and abroad. But Acts 10 reminds us that the entire narrative does as a whole. God acts first, invites us to participate alongside that work. God speaks first and invites us to participate alongside that word. Divine impartiality reminds us that God accepts people graciously. Divine initiative reminds us that God acts as the first mover and invites his people alongside to participate and live with him. I wonder if even the Holy Spirit was poured out because Peter made those confessions and was able to say, you're a part of us. We're part of you. And that God was already speaking to Cornelius, and all he had to do was join in. I don't even know if we trust that God is speaking to people. I hear too often that it's about, if we don't say it, who will? But God is. I have so many uh, friends that have had conversion experiences where they never talked to a Christian ever. Or they hated them. And they had an encounter with God where it's just like they just woke up and just said, I think I'm supposed to follow Jesus. I had a friend, she was a gypsy <laughs> in England, and she was an atheist. And she was passionate about how much she despised Christianity. She was on a beach on the Friday. And I've told this before, but beach on the Friday, walking on the beach, and said, there must be a God. I need to follow him. And she went back to town, and the only person they knew who was a Christian was one of her teachers. Went to her house and said, you must baptize me. And he said, I can't. You have to go through classes. And I want it now. I'm going to find someone else. And so he brought in the elder, and they baptized her right there. Remember her sharing her story. She became a youth pastor. She is like she's amazing. And it's interesting because when I asked her to tell her story at Pacific Christian, there are a number of people that struggled with her story because it didn't fit with the paradigm of how you become a Christian. Where was Cornelius' conversion experience? There wasn't one. There wasn't one that we see. He just knew that this was the God that he's to follow, and he followed. And he did it. And Peter, all he had to do was join in. Does that make us uncomfortable? Does it make us uncomfortable when someone comes to faith because they met God? I believe that God is moving. 
Peter had to realize, he says, now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. It's the story of God, uh, of an encounter between God and man. This is a comment that Steve made with me. He said, like this memorial offering was to commemorate the encounter between God and man. God always remembers his promises. He keeps his covenant. He wants to reconcile us to himself. My question to you, what would it look like if our lives were memorial offering to God? And this isn't about doing. I think that Cornelius just loved. Loved God and loved others. Romans 12, we've come back to this one so many times. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. I wanted you to see this man Cornelius because I wonder how many Corneliuses are, there are in our lives that we overlook because we say, God can't talk to him. He's the bad guy. He's the black hat and we're the white hats. God is moving in lives we need to walk what he's doing. Cornelius was just like Peter. They were just humans. They were just children of God. And Cornelius just wanted more. It would be sad if Peter didn't follow through. It would have been sad if Peter didn't make that shift. But God was still going to do it in Cornelius, even if Peter didn't show up because it was more for Peter to learn something than it was for Cornelius. He was already enveloped by God's presence.